0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today's topic is Accountable Mail. We're going to go over what Accountable Mail is and what is not considered an accountable item. And we're going to go over some advice for delivering to the door. How to keep yourself safe, how to be prepared, things like that. Before we get into it, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I am not a... hmm, Well, see, there we go. That's a great example, right? I'm not perfect at this. I don't know everything. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to improve. And without question, I will make mistakes during this podcast. Please don't take the things that I say to be completely authoritative. You should always look in the M41 for yourself or the other places that have the rules and go with that. Go with what the contract says over what I say. And of course, if your supervisor says something that conflicts with what I say, you have to go with what your supervisor says until that can get settled out with a grievance or whatever else is necessary. So if you're listening and you hear me make mistakes, please let me know. I don't want to make mistakes. Um, the email where you can send uh, questions to me or comments or whatever is classesofmail at gmail.com. And I'm always looking for topic ideas and whatever feedback you have. The feedback has been really positive in general, and I'm so stoked about that. It is amazing to just get random emails from people around the country and uh, hear what they have to say about the podcast. It's been very rewarding. But again, I'm always willing to admit when I make mistakes. I know I'm going to make mistakes. It's pretty much guaranteed. Maybe we do something weird here that you don't do everywhere. Like, for example, I always thought that everywhere had the city carrier flow chart, but it turns out that's just something the supervisors in my area have done that break down like what you're supposed to do in the morning, what order they want you to do it in. That is not an official postal form. It does not carry weight for discipline, but it is handy and it's nice to have this chart and you know tells you what order everything goes in. But of course, the ultimate decider of what's a street function, what's an office function is the M41. So with that said, uh, let's move on and talk about accountables. We'll do accountables first. The M41 in Section 26 describes accountables, and it lists keys, postage due items, customs duty mail, and special services. We don't do special delivery mail anymore. That's essentially been taken over by express mail, but express mail is an accountable item. It falls under that same umbrella. Accountable items are transferred and recorded on PS form 3867. That is the only approved form for the transferring of accountables. In my area for a while, they were using this other form. I don't even remember the form number anymore, but it had this thing written down at the bottom that said, by signing this form, you agree that you have read sections, you know, whatever of the ELM and the M41 and the irresponsible and all this stuff. And we were able to get management to stop using that form to go back to the 3867. Now we have the um, signing your keys in and out on the scanner and I just got word from our local union president that we're going to be grieving that as well because the M41 has not changed. So in the M41 it says this stuff changes hands on the form 3867. The keys that it refers to as accountables can be your arrow keys and your truck keys. Where I am, the truck key is not considered an accountable key, but it can be. And that is provided for in the M41. So the arrow key is the iron key or that darker key that has an arrow actually printed on it. And then the newer key that looks like it's maybe made of brass is called a mall key, M-A-L key. Those are zip code specific. And M-A-L stands for modified arrow lock. So you have your regular arrow key and then your modified arrow lock key. And when you sign for the key, again, according to the M41, you're either going to sign for it or you're going to exchange like a checkout card for your key. And then when you turn that stuff back in at the end of the day, you get that card back. And now we have this newer procedure where you transfer possession of the arrow key via your scanner. Um, Whether it will stay that way, I don't know. It seems like going forward... um, if we're going to have these new electronic arrow locks, which hopefully will help cut down on the number of arrow keys that are being stolen, that at some point the scanner is going to have to get involved, but all that's going to be settled by the union at higher levels. And so I'm not going to worry about that for now. So i oh, got a sneeze coming on. Uh, let me pause. Ah, oh, that was a big one, but like it never happened, like a real professional, you never even heard it. Good job, me. All right, so anyway, getting back to uh, what we were talking about. So, that's the keys. Next, postage due. So, when you sign for that postage due item from your accountables clerk, you are on the hook for that money. If it is a postage due of $1.41, as soon as you sign for that, you are $1.41 poor. So, at the end of the day, you better either turn that item back in, maybe it was left notice, maybe it was refused, or you better have that $1.41 you always have the option to just pay that postage due right then and then collect it on your own time but regardless whatever happens you're on the hook for that money so you want to make sure you know why that item has postage due because your customers are going to ask you knock on the door and you say hey this has postage due of $3.88 and they ask you why do i owe 388 you better have an answer for them so there's a number of reasons why that might be maybe it was a uh, well, whatever it is, the postage does not match what the post office actually charges for it, right? And you can ask your accountables clerk, hey, why does this have postage due? The next item is customs duty mail. And I have never seen one in my going on 18-year career <clears throat> at the post office. So I'm not real familiar with customs duty. As I understand it, it's where it's kind of like a COD but it's for import duties where an item comes in from a foreign country and there may be like an import tax on that item. And so we collect the money for customs. So again, when you sign for that, you're responsible for that money. If you need to know what the procedure is for that, I really don't know because I haven't seen one. Uh, You'll have to ask your accountables clerk. Next is COD, collect on delivery. So with those, we collect money on behalf of the mailer. So let's say you're ordering CDs from Columbia House and Columbia House is like, well, nobody's paying for these anymore. Or, you know, maybe they got in trouble for charging people's credit cards all the time. So now if they're going to send you uh, eight cassette tapes, you have to pay that $15 when the eight cassette tapes come. And we're going to collect that money. And then we send that money off to Columbia House. On the label, there will be amounts for cash. If the person pays in cash, there's a certain amount. There's another amount if they pay by check. And then sometimes there's a new EFT amount. So if they pay by check, then the check needs to be mailed out to, or needs to be made out to the mailer. it'll be made out to Columbia House. Because what your accountables clerk is going to do is they're going to take those forms off the COD, which you need to tear off. And they're going to package that up along with the check. And they just mail the whole thing off back to Columbia House. So we've collected the money on their behalf. If they pay with cash, you'll notice that there is an additional fee. In fact, I just had one today. This first COD I've had in years. And it was $189 to this vitamin company. But if they paid by cash, it was $191. And the reason for that difference is because the accountables clerk has to turn that money or whoever does it at the post office, I don't even know. They have to turn that money into a postal money order that we can then mail back to Columbia House. So the extra amount for cash is the amount that it costs to get a postal money order for that amount. And then with EFT, there is no extra fee. The mailer has set up an electronic funds transfer. That's what EFT stands for with the post office. And so whether they pay by cash or check, there is no extra fee. So just like with these other items of postage due and customs duty, you are on the hook for that money. So if that item goes missing, oh, you just got $189 poorer. And that is a problem. So you really need to make sure you keep track of those things and make sure you know how to deliver them. We'll go over the delivery procedures a little bit later. Next, express mail. Express has to be delivered by 1800 unless it's specified otherwise. I think you can still pay extra to get earlier delivery, but pretty much all of them now say 1800 And it'll indicate right on the label whether you need a signature or not. If it's an electronic label, then it'll actually be embedded in the barcode and it'll say like signature confirmation on it. So your scanner will know immediately, oh, this one needs a signature and it'll take you to the signature screen. But on the hand-filled out form there's no way for the scanner to know where the little checkbox is marked that says it needs a signature or it doesn't so instead your scanner is going to ask you does this need a signature and you have to look on the label and figure it out and then answer the scanner appropriately all right next uh accountable item is domestic registered these are the ones with the red and white sticker and guys this is the most accountable item there is you are personally responsible for that item. This is the way people send things that are irreplaceable, things that are extremely valuable. It is by far the most secure way to send something. And it's kind of a cool process. Once the mailer drops off that item as a, as a domestic registered, that item gets hand accounted for on a register. They actually write down the number, and then it goes into a pouch that has a lock on it. And then it gets sent to the next place under lock and key. And then the registry worker at the next place uses their key, opens up the pouch, and they hand account for that item. So at least in theory, there's no way that it can be lost on its way to the destination because it's being checked at every single stop. And then every person who comes into contact with it is personally responsible for it until it gets signed off at the next step. And that is you. At the end, you are personally responsible for it. I used to deliver to a place that dealt in precious metals. And from time to time, I would get a small flat rate box that had a ton of postage on it. And it was sent domestic registered because inside there would be a solid bar of gold or a solid bar of silver. And man, I did not like being responsible for that. So that's domestic registered. It is super duper accountable. All right. So those are your main accountable items. Um, Now with domestic registered, you can still deliver that to whoever answers the door because there's an extra service that can be added on. It can be added on to most classes of mail called restricted delivery. And with restricted delivery, It has to go to the person whose name is actually on it. And it costs an extra two or three dollars or something like that. If it's not restricted delivery, then we can generally deliver it to whomever answers the door. And if they didn't pay for restricted delivery, they don't get that service. All right. So that is your accountable items. Now, the M41 also says that you can prepare these items for delivery in the office. In 262.1, it says that you can use a 3849 in the marker for your accountable items. Generally, I'm just going to case that stuff in and deliver it when I get to it. But if I have something extra valuable like that COD or like a domestic registered, I'm absolutely going to put that 3849 in because I don't want to lose track of it. When I get out to my truck, I'm going to put that domestic registered locked up in the back of the truck. And then once I see that 3849, oh, I got to go grab that domestic registered. And again, this is accounted for in the M41. You are absolutely allowed to do that. And you can fill in the address portion of the 3849. In the M41, it says, quote, usually prepare form PS3849 as you make delivery, end quote. And that's what I recommend is, um, you know, most of the time I don't use a 3849 at all because I just have the person sign on the scanner. But you can fill out that 3849 in advance, at least part of it, and case that up for your accountable items or for the things you have that are going to need a signature. So... If you are going to need to go to the door, like if you have an express mail that's going to have to go to the door, you can't just leave it in the mailbox. You want to make sure you set that up when you're casing in a way that's going to make it convenient for you when you deliver it. Like if you're delivering to cluster boxes and you know you're going to get to that house before you get to the cluster box, then you want to case that in at the front of that bundle so you'll see it while you're on your way. If you're going to somewhere that you know the house is beyond the cluster box, then case it in behind that cluster box and you hit it again when you're on your way after you've left the cluster box. Either way, that's how you handle accountable items in the office. Now, talk about going to the door. When you go to somebody's door, your procedure is generally going to be the same for anything that's going to need a signature, whether it's just a, a signature confirmation, parcel, or uh, numbered insured, if it's insured for over $500, an express, a registered, certified letter, whatever it is, they're all essentially going to be delivered the same. So my recommendation when you go up to the door is to take your satchel with you. It's not mandatory in most of the country as far as I know. Here in Las Vegas, it is mandatory. Every single time you go up to the customer's door, even if you just go into their yard, you are required to take your satchel with you. And for me, even if it wasn't mandatory, I'd still take it with me because I've had enough dog issues. I've been attacked by dogs enough times that I know the value of that satchel. That satchel makes a pretty good barrier between me and the dog and it has saved my butt many, many times. So even if it's not mandatory, I would still recommend bringing that satchel with you to the door. It's a very small effort to just grab the satchel on your way out of the truck. And it gives you that extra little bit of safety. I'll tell you, I've gotten so used to it that sometimes when I'm at home just walking my dog, I wish I had that satchel with me because if there's a loose dog around, I like having that barrier between me and the dog. So that's recommendation number one, bring the satchel with you. Another thing that's not necessarily mandatory, but I recommend is if you already have the mail in your hand for that person, bring the mail with you to the door. It's not something that you have to do, but it's a nice courtesy. If you're delivering to a cluster box, you're probably not going to bother. But if you're doing out the window or, or, uh, over the curb delivery and you already have their mail in your hand, you might as well bring it up. You don't have to, but it's nice. All right. Now we get into strategy. So my goal at the door, is that I want to spend as little time at the door as possible. Very few good things can happen while you're at the door. You know, people have dogs. And so while you're standing there at the door, you're in danger of that dog come running out. And that has happened to me lots of times. You're in danger of germs. You know, the the condition that some of these people keep their houses. Dude, it is not okay. And I don't want to be in there breathing their nasty-ass house smell Uh you know, for an extended period of time, if I can avoid it. And then there's also just creeps in the house, people you don't want to deal with, people who come and answer the door in their underwear. You know, it's, it's never the person you want to answer the door in their underwear. I've been delivering the mail for January will make 18 years. And in my entire career, I've had plenty of people answer the door naked, but only one time in my entire career, was it an attractive woman who answered the door naked. And, uh, or she wasn't naked. I'm sorry. She was in this sexy lingerie that was kind of see-through and that was great. It's actually kind of a funny story. I'll digress for a second. So I've always done this. I want to scan the stuff before I get to the door. And I used to, before COVID, I would knock, knock, knock on the door, wait for the person to answer and then actually hand them their parcel. We don't really do that anymore, but that is still in the M41. So anyway, I had these three big boxes and I was taking them up to the door and I couldn't scan them on my way up because my hands were full. So I get to the door, I set the parcels down and I knock on the door and I go to scan the first package and the woman answers the door and she's standing there in this really sexy lingerie and I go to scan the package and it wouldn't scan. And I'm standing there with my scanner trying to hit that barcode and it just won't scan and she's standing there looking at me, I'm looking at her, trying not to be too obvious, and I wind up having to type in the entire barcode. I set that package to the side, go to sp- scan the second one. Same thing. It won't scan. I wound up having to stand there and scan all three barcodes while she's standing there in this see-through lingerie. And I could only imagine what she was thinking. That, oh yeah, sure, it doesn't scan. But uh, it really wouldn't. That was, you know, just dumb luck. One time the sun shone on my shoulders and uh, and that was a really nice boost for morale. But again, most of the time, the people who answered the door... Dress like that, you don't want to hang around. So you want that time at the door to be as brief as possible. So I recommend you prepare that scanner and your 3849 if needed before you approach the door. So I have maybe a certified letter. I'm going to scan that certified letter, mark it as individual or mark it as delivered, mark it as left with individual or whatever you expect it to be, um, left with neighbor, front desk, whatever it is. Um, And get it all the way up to that signature screen. And then on the signature screen, you have these three boxes, signature, printed name, address. So for sure, I'm going to fill in the address because I already know what the address is. There's no reason for me to make the customer do that. It's just going to add to the time that I'm standing at the door. So I fill in the address. And then for printed name, I'll fill that in too. Anybody can print a printed name. And so whatever their last name is, Johnson, I'll write Johnson in that box. If I get to the door and it winds up not being a Johnson, you know, of, oh, that's my roommate. Can I sign for it? Yeah, no problem. And I just X hit the little red X in the upper right corner of that printed name box. It clears out the printed name and I can tell them to sign and print. But generally when I get to the door, all I need is for them to sign in the top box. That's it. So, I ring the bell, knock, 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 and I knock loudly. I knock because I want them to hear it. I knock like I'm the police. So, again, I got the scanner completely ready. All they need to do is sign in the top box. I get up to the door, knock, 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 and then I back up. Whatever danger is on the other side of that door... I want time to react to it. So I'm going to be mindful of stairs and I'm going to back up so that I don't have to negotiate stairs. If I have to retreat from a dog or from a crazy person or something like that, I'm looking out for obstacles that I might have to clear. And I want to back up behind those. If there's a gate, I want to back up behind that gate. Then I can just close the gate and that protects me from the dog or whatever I need, um, or any bottlenecks that there are. You know, I don't want to be in this tight, confined space when that door opens because I need that time to react. This is really one of the primary reasons that despite being attacked by dogs many, many times, I have never been bitten because I do things like this that give myself the time to react. So you're going to back up however far you need to. And then when they answer the door, then I'll approach and say what I need to say. So I'll say, I have a certified letter for Bradford. Can I get a signature? What I don't say is I have a certified letter for you because I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. Maybe you do if you know your customers well, and that's a a separate issue. But generally, you're just going to say I have a certified letter for whatever the name is, and can I get a signature? So I don't know who they are, and honestly, I don't care who they are. Anybody can sign for this item, regardless of what it is, an express mail, a domestic registered, a certified signature confirmation, whatever it is, whoever answers that door can sign for it, unless the mailer paid for restricted delivery. So does that person, you know, is the person home? I don't care. I don't ask that because what difference does it make? As long as the person who answers is willing to sign for it, boom, they sign for it and we're done. So I have a certified letter for Bradford. Can I get a signature? Sometimes they might ask you, like, who's it from? Or, can I see it? And yeah, they can see it. But they can see it with their eyes, not with their hands. Don't hand it to them until after they sign for it you know, you can tell them, oh, it's from this person or, you know, who the sender is. A lot of times it, um, it's like a collection agency. It won't say who the sender is. It'll just have like a PO box or something like that. But if it's on the envelope, it's okay to share that information. Again, just don't hand it to them. Heaven forbid You hand it to them and then they just close the door. Now what are you going to do? That actually happened at my station a couple of days ago. Somebody took the certified letter and then just closed the door. And then they wouldn't answer when the carrier was knocking on the door. So they wound up having to call the postal inspectors for that one. Don't put yourself in that situation. Don't give it to them until they actually sign for it. All right. So if it's the addressee or a family member, somebody with the same last name, boom, they sign for it on the scanner and you are done if it winds up being a roommate or somebody with a different last name again you just x out that printed name box or you'll if it's signature confirmation you had to type in the name you'll have to back up to that screen and retype in whatever the, the new name is but that's it then they sign for it you get that last beep and then you're done you give them the item remember you don't need to check id uh, because it doesn't matter. anybody can sign for it. The only reason you'd have to check ID is if it was either restricted delivery in which case you definitely have to check ID and it only goes to the person whose name is on it. or if it's an adult signature item and you're not sure about the person's age, then you'd have to um, you'd have to check ID to make sure that they are, 18 or 21 whatever whatever it is for an adult signature with adult signature your scanner actually tells you it'll say was this person born before july 23rd 1987 or whatever whatever the date is and if you're not sure check their id all right now the customers they have a choice they can accept the item and sign for it they can um refuse the item, you know, I don't want to sign for it. That's fine. I don't care if they refuse items. Certified letters are pretty much always bad news. And so people refuse certified letters sometimes. I don't care. I'll just send it back. Refuse. It's no skin off my nose, or it might get returned for another reason. Uh, like one of our carrier endorsements, it might be attempted, not known. It might be a forward, uh, whatever it is. And then you're going to mark that up and do whatever is appropriate with it when you get back to the station. Maybe you give it to your accountables clerk because they have to handle those markups. Or like for our certified letters now, they just go into the carrier and track and get returned as whatever they are. Uh, there could be uh, unusual situations like I've had customers tell me that, oh, um, Bradford is in jail right now. Well, I don't really care if he's in jail. My next question is, all right, well, do you want to sign for it and try to get up to him? Or do you want me to just send it back? And then they can make that choice. Now, what if the person, the recipient is deceased? That has happened to me. I go knock on the door. Lady answers the door and I say, I have a, a certified letter for Bradford. <clears throat> and she says, oh my God, that's, that's my husband. And he just died last night. I found him in front of the computer, and and he was just dead, and he's gone. And talk about awkward. I mean, obviously, it's way worse for her, uh, but that was definitely an uncomfortable situation. So what do you do with a piece like that? She just told me that Bradford is deceased. Well, the fact is, and this is true of all deceased mail, it's not my decision to make. As far as the post office is concerned, deceased mail is still perfectly deliverable. It is up to the next of kin to decide what they want to do with that mail. And ultimately, in my situation, the lady wound up signing for it. She said, well, I guess I'm going to have to start dealing with all of his crap. And so she signed for it and she took it. So we're not just automatically going to return deceased mail. We have to let that next of kin decide. All right. So what about if nobody answers the door? How long do you wait? For me, it depends on how big the house is. If it's a little um, studio apartment, 10 seconds is probably enough time to wait for that person to come to the door. If it's a big mansion, maybe a minute for that person to get to the door. But during that time, because my scanner is already completely ready to go, I'm just standing there. And that's fine. Not a big deal. So after 30 seconds passes or whatever I decide, now what I'll do is ring the doorbell and knock again. So after that second knock, then I'm going to start filling out my 3849 so that I can leave notice. So they have all that time to get to the door. They have the first knock, and then after the second knock, they have all the time I'm filling out that 3849 to come to the door. If they still haven't come to the door, then I'm going to write uh, attempted or left notice or whatever on that piece, uh, put the date, and then the completed 3849 goes in the mail receptacle. I know there's some debate over this, but it is laid out in the M41 in 741.4 that the completed 3849 goes in the mail receptacle. It's also specifically laid out on a slide in the Carrier Academy. We do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, One is that the mailbox is the appropriate place that the post office should put things. I know those 3849s have a sticky on them, but thieves... Porch pirates know that 3849s are attached to something valuable, so they can just go up and peel that 3849 off, take it into the station, and then the clerk will just hand that person a stolen item. Clerks are probably supposed to check ID. I don't know if they do. I'm never around when that stuff happens. But regardless, the procedure is it goes in the mailbox. <laughs> All right. Uh, so on certified letters, and sometimes on other pieces of mail as well, there will be a Form 3811, which is this green card that is a physical return receipt. About half the certified letters I deliver probably have the green card on them, so you have to be on the lookout for them. And this is a physical receipt that provides proof that the item was delivered. And then the card, that 3811, after the signature goes on it, then it gets sent back to the mailer so that, again, they have that physical proof that, yes, this item was delivered. On that card, you need signature. You need the person's printed name. You're going to check the box, whether it's the addressee or an agent. So is it Mr. Bradford or is it someone signing on their behalf? If it's someone signing on their behalf, then you mark agent. You fill in the date. And then it asks you whether the address where you delivered it matches the address that's printed on the card and if it doesn't then there's a box where you have to put in the address where it was actually delivered so if that certified mail gets forwarded then you're gonna put the address where it actually got delivered that forwarded address then you tear off the card and where I work uh, we actually bring it back to our accountables room and put a postmark on it and that makes it totally official that it was absolutely delivered on that day Uh, I have not found in any of our rule books where it says you have to put that postmark on it, uh, but it's something we do at my station. Seems like a good idea, because why would a judge just take somebody's word for it that wrote on it that it was delivered on that day? So the postmark removes all doubt. Um, But again, I don't know if that's a policy nationwide. I have not been able to find that in writing. So anyway, and then at that point, once all that gets done, then that 3811 is just a postcard and it goes into the green mail or maybe their special processing year station and it gets sent back to the sender as a postcard. With those 3811s, they cost extra. Of course they do. You know, a normal certified letter is going to cost like $5 or $6, whatever it is these days. And then the 3811 is going to add 2 or $3 to that postage. So it might be $8 if it has a 3811 on it. And if you're lazy like I am, you always want to check that postage because a lot of times the companies will send out these certified letters with a 3811 on it, but they don't pay the extra postage. So if I see a certified letter with a 3811 and it only has like $5.21 of postage on it, hey, I don't have to deliver that one. That one has insufficient postage. And I give it back to the accountables clerk and they got to send it back postage due or whatever they do with it. I don't know what they do with it, but I know I ain't delivering it that day. So that's one more thing off my plate. Because I, I you know, the real reason is laziness. But the excuse is uh, I ain't giving people services they didn't pay for. If they want us to do that 30 to 11, they got to pay for it. We ain't letting people ride for free. The post office already loses enough money. And speaking of postage, let's talk about postage due. So you're going to use that same basic procedure for going to the door. I recommend you take your satchel. You want to knock, 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 give yourself some space. And you want to be prepared for when that person comes to the door. And then I'm going to say I have a letter for McPherson that has postage due of 79 cents. You know, again, I don't say I have a letter for you because I don't know who they are. And frankly, I don't care who they are as long as they're going to pay that 79 cents. And when the customer says, why does it have 79 cents of postage due? Like I said before, you better have an answer for that. You better be able to tell them, well, it's the thickness. It wasn't able to go through automated processing, so it had to go with the parcel rate or whatever the reason is. You know, they, they may ask. And then when they pay you, they can pay by cash. They can pay by check. And what's the check acceptance policy for the post office? I don't even know. The last time I saw a check was like, 10 years ago maybe so I don't even know what the check acceptance policy is you'll probably have to ask your supervisor about that one interestingly the last time I had a check I had to call the supervisor say hey this person wants to pay with a check what do I need to put on here and the supervisor didn't even know and he's like ah just take the check and and I did and everything was fine so they can pay by cash they can pay by check they can pay with stamps. Stamps, as far as the post office is concerned, is as, are as good as money. So if it has like a dollar twenty of postage due and they give you two forever stamps, that covers it. And as I understand, they can even pay with a meter strip. Like if they're a business and they have the meter to run for their mail, they can run off a meter strip for 79 cents and give that to you because that's like paying the post office 79 cents. You may want to double check that one with your accountables clerk. They may not know how to process it, Uh, but as far as I know, yes, they can even pay with a postage meter strip. What if it's 79 cents and they give you a dollar? They're probably going to want their change. So as a carrier, you're not supposed to carry cash on you because that makes you a theft target. So what do you do? Well, if you have change, you can make change. You're not prohibited from making change, but you're also not required to make change. Again, you're not expected to be carrying cash on you. So in those cases, in my experience, usually the customer just lets you keep the change. Uh, It's 21 cents. It's not worth it. Eh, That's all right. You can keep the change. Uh, But if they insist on their change or it's an unreasonable amount of change, whatever, and you don't have it, then that means they're going to have to take their thirty-eight forty-nine and go down to the post office where the post office has plenty of change and they can get their $0.21 cents of change down at the post office when they go to pick up their item. Once faced with that choice of either eating the $0.21 cents or going all the way down to the post office for the item, suddenly the $0.21 cents doesn't seem quite as important. But regardless, you know, that's their choice. Um, they are only supposed to pay the amount that's indicated on the postage due and In most cases, in my experience, they actually do have the exact change. You know, they go through the couch cushions or whatever it is. Either way, you're on the hook for that money. And so you have to collect that money or they can refuse postage due. No, I don't want to pay that. That's fine. It goes back to the sender or, you know, it's attempted, not known. There may be a number of reasons why you won't be able to collect that postage due. That's fine. At the end of the day, you're going to turn the item back into your accountables clerk instead of the money, and then they'll clear you for that item sometimes pardon me sometimes the customer will want a receipt and unfortunately there isn't one i'm just asking i just asked them to pay like 12 dollars for this parcel and they said well can i get a receipt um no we don't have receipts so what I'll do is just use a 3849 there's a little checkbox down at the bottom of the 3849 that says postage due and so I'll check that box and I write the amount in there and that seems to satisfy them Uh, but if they're really insistent on a receipt and you can't give them one then again you're going to have to give them that 3849 and they'll go down to the post office to pick up that item Um, and uh, if they don't have the money, which also happens from time to time, then again, you're just going to leave that 38 49 and they'll have to go down and collect that item at the post office. So with CODs, uh, very similar procedure to the postage due. You're going to tell them how much it is. It's this much if you pay by cash. It's this much if you pay by check. And the one that I had today, uh, there was nobody home. So I wound up, or at least they didn't answer the door. So I wound up leaving notice on that. I left the 3849 in their mail receptacle, and I brought the item back. If they're going to pay by check, make sure that check is made out to the mailer. You know, Whatever it says on that mail piece, that's who they're going to write the check out to. And then we tear off the copies. I don't even know what copies we take, but it does say right on the, the papers, right? There'll be like a little stack of papers that are glued to the top of that COD and it'll say right on it, like copy number one and copy number two, go back to the post office. Copy number three, which is like glued to the, to the mail piece stays with the mail piece. It says right on it, but if you're not sure, make sure you check in with your accountables clerk or your supervisor before you leave for the street so that you know how to deliver it. And if it's an exceptional amount of money, we had a COD at our station once that was like $1,500 and the people were home and they paid out fifteen one dollars bills, gave it to the carrier. And so if you're that carrier, where is your next stop going to be after you just picked up $1,500 cash? What's well, going to be back to the station? Go drop off that money. There's no way I want to be going around my route with $1,500 of cash on me. I don't feel like being responsible for all of that. And generally, your supervisor is going to be okay with that. All right. So that's, that's my advice. That's how you go to the door. That is uh, what items are accountable, what's not, how you're supposed to handle that stuff. And handling those things right means that you're never going to find yourself on the hook for a solid bar of gold that's a domestic registered or that 79 cents of postage due. You handle it properly and everything goes smoothly. And this is just another way to make yourself discipline-proof. All right, thanks for listening, and I will catch you guys next time.